Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So about uh, six or seven years ago, I came across a book by a guy named David Kinneman. Um, the title of the book is Unchristian. And really what it is, is um, a lot of re- research he did and surveying he did um, to get a sense of what people outside the church think of the church and think of Christianity. And um, the results were a little disturbing, if I may say so, um, because one of the things he, he pointed out was uh, as a result of all of the research is that those outside the church looking in at the church see us um, as, as being more, we are more known for what we are against than what we are for. And, and a lot of the criticisms were that they're judgmental, um, hypocritical, um, overly political, and totally out of touch with our culture. And I wish I could say that that's being harsh and unfair, but in my own experience and seeing things happen in the name of Christ, I kind of feel the same way. I, uh, I, sometimes my wife and I, we have this little, uh, little thing. Sometimes we're watching the news and we're seeing Christians protesting this or protesting that or you know, whatever it might be, and we just turn to each other and we go, CCB. Christians behaving badly again, you know, it's just, it's one of those things. And it's, it's disturbing to me because that's not the message of Christ. And so today we've come together, we're celebrating the grand opening of this building, but the building is not the, the church. The church is not the building. It isn't even the, the programs that, that we put on here in this building. The church is the people. And I think it's very important for us at the celebration of this grand opening to talk about our core values, the five core values, what make us, what define us as a church, as people, as Christ followers. And so today we're going to go re, re, um, re-look at those things. And if you're a longtime member here, regular attender here, um, this is a good reminder for you. And if this is your first time ever at Northgate, you're going to get a sense of what we are all about and who we are. Because these are our five core values. And they're not something we just made up. They actually come right from Scripture. And the the best place that you can see them all summarized is in the book of Acts. Acts is really the history of the church, the beginnings of the church, uh, some 2,000 years ago. In Acts chapter 2, there's a summary statement about life of this first group of Christ followers gathered together in the church. So if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles with you. Um, If you don't, you can just listen along. I'm going to read it for you. Um, Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin in verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And if you want to turn over a page or two, Acts chapter 4, one more summary statement. Verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Those qualities or characteristics of the first century church are really at the heart of what we want to be 
as a church and what has been for the past 25 years the core values of this church and and if you by any chance during the sermon don't get all the fill in the blanks that's okay we got them on big posters out in the lobby so you'll you'll know the answers if you miss them okay but here's it is first and foremost we are to be a community of grace because grace is the heart of christianity grace is what the message of the gospel is all about that, that, that we, are, we are all dependent on and desperately in need of God's grace. And it's grace that united that first century church. It says in chapter 4 that all the believers were one in heart and mind, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. It's all about grace. And all too often, the places that should be a place of grace, a people of grace, are not very gracious But grace is what we're all about. It's our only hope. Philip Yancey wrote a book a number of years ago called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he calls grace our last best word. Let me read to you a little bit what he writes. He says, grace is the one theological word that has not been spoiled. I call it the last best word because every English usage I can find retains some of the glory of the original. Many people say grace before meals, acknowledging daily bread as a gift from God. We are grateful for someone's kindness, gratified by good news, congratulated when successful, gracious when hosting friends. When a person's service pleases us, we live a gratuity. A composer of music may add grace notes to the score. Though not essential to the melody, they are gratuitous. These notes add a flourish whose presence would be missed. If I sign up for 12 issues of a magazine, I may receive a few extra copies even after my subscription has expired. These are called grace issues, sent free of charge or gratis. Credit cards, rental car agencies, and mortgage companies likewise extend to customers an undeserved grace period. The many uses of the word in English convince me that grace is indeed amazing. Truly our last best word. It contains the essence of the gospel as a drop of water can contain an image of the sun. The world thirsts for grace in ways it does not even recognize. Little wonder the hymn Amazing Grace edged its way onto the top 10 charts 200 years after its composition. For a society that seems adrift without moorings, I know of no better place to drop an anchor of faith than grace. Grace was at the heart of that first century church. Grace is at the heart of who we are as a church. And as long as a church remains centered in God's grace, it thrives and it flourishes. But when we lose that focus, or we become focused elsewhere, the church begins to wither and die. Grace is what we're all about. Because on the cross, Jesus Christ gave it all. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and it is because of what he did for us on the cross that we have this new life that he offers. It all comes as a gift from gra- of the grace of God. He paid for it himself. Grace, however, is constantly under assault, and more often than not, by religion. See, religion, religion is all about doing, but grace is all about being done. See, nothing can be taken away from what Christ has done. Nothing can be added to it. 
See, all religion is based on these, those two letters, D-O, do. Do this, don't do that. And if you do that, that you shouldn't have done, this is what you need to do to make up for it. Grace is spelled D-O-N-E. It's done. Last words of Jesus on the cross was, it is finished. There's nothing more to be added. There's nothing that can be taken away. It is all about his grace. Now, it's often under assault by religion. In fact, the first century church had that problem. When, um, when the message of the gospel started to go out, because the first, the first group of followers were all Jewish people. And as the, as the message of grace began to expand and the, and the gospel began to expand all around the Roman Empire, now there were Gentile believers. And there was a big issue about what do we do? Because, see, the, the mark of the people of God in Jewish tradition was circumcision. Talk about tough entry requirements, okay? <laughs> but but the, now there's these Gentile believers. Are they going to be required to be circumcised? Because that's the mark of, of, of followers of God. And it was such an important issue that they actually held a, a, a convention. They actually brought together a church council of all the church leaders, and they, they got together, and they debated this, and they discussed it back and forth, back and forth. Finally, they came to this conclusion. James himself stood up and said this. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. And that sentence has been a key sentence in the life of Northgate from its beginning. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. That those who have experienced grace need to extend grace. And what we say around here is that everybody matters. Nobody's perfect, but everyone is welcome as is. A couple of months ago, we had a baptism. One of the ladies who got baptized shared her story, and it was just an incredibly powerful story. And I asked her if she would rewrite it for me because I'd like to read it to you today because it really talks about the transforming. Oh, I got it before it fell off the stage. Um, It talks about the transforming power of grace. Listen to her story. Prior to coming to Christ, I merely existed. I didn't know how to regulate my emotions. I was bitter, severely depressed, filled with self-hate and felt unloved. I was negative about everything. I craved and welcomed pity and wallowed in negative attention. I clung to food, shopping, alcohol, drugs, and short-lived relationships with men, anything that distracted me from finding solutions to my problems. I blamed mental conditions on my poor choices. Less than a year ago, I was taking five different psychiatric medications for a variety of mental illnesses. I had multiple suicide attempts, a mile-high psychiatric record, and I was told I could never work again. My psychiatrist said his best vision for me would be to disregard my college education, apply for Social Security, and hopefully get on Section 8 to live out the rest of my life. Last year, my mom died unexpectedly in her sleep at the age of 51, and I lost my job a week after she died. It was an unbearable and stressful time. I felt I was... I felt the pain I felt was a gnawing, a deep black hole in my chest, and I physically and emotionally felt sick. About a month later, I broke down and I cried out to God, admitted my sins, and begged for his forgiveness. Then I pleaded with God to kill me and take me home or change me. Following that night, I developed an overwhelming desire to program my mind with positive messages and stumbled upon YouTube sermons from T.D. Jakes, Charles Stanley, and Joyce Myers. My path started to align with positive mentors and support groups, and my sister persuaded me to go back to church. Through an acquaintance, I was led to Northgate. 
I was invited in by Vanessa Zimmerman. She patiently answered my questions and truly made me feel welcome. On my second visit, I received a CD of Pastor Jesse's worship team. I clung to that music for months. The music helped transform my mind and drew me closer to God. The songs established me and enabled me to worship. They uplifted me and on some days provided comfort or lit a fire of faith within my soul. I also appreciated the sermons and remember listening to a sermon particularly by Pastor Ken regarding his trial with depression. Pastor Ken made me realize and find comfort in the realization that yes, even Christians can experience depression. I appreciated his courage to be transparent and serve God through his personal experience. I also met Pastor Rocky Kim and Casey Thacker. I was greeted warmly and so was my son. We appreciated the positive environment and truly kind nature of the greeters, volunteers, and all the people we came in contact with. I really appreciated Pastor Larry Davis's character. He has a personality that engages in fellowship and possesses such an enthusiasm for God, promoting an environment that just causes someone to smile from the inside out. I am grateful to Northgate as it has been a huge part of my journey. Most importantly, because I was publicly baptized here and gave my life to and made my commitment to serve God. My baptism at Northgate is a sacred experience I will never, never forget, an experience I hold dear to my heart. Honestly, my story is just beginning. My public declaration has now led me to a mission to continuously serve God's will and actively with his purpose. In a sermon I once listened to, T.D. Jake said, nothing is as powerful as a changed mind, and I can honestly attest that God has restored mine. I've been off psychiatric meds for six months now, I'm employed working in the support of a head partner of a global consulting firm in San Francisco. I now feel God's presence and the Holy Spirit flows within me like something I've never experienced before. I'm doing things I never thought I could do before, knowing and affirming daily that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I understand and accept the highs and lows of life, but my life now has purpose. Where I once just merely existed... My relationship with God has filled me with strength I didn't know existed. I've surrendered my life and will to God, and I am His servant. I now live to glorify my Father in heaven. That's the power of God's grace. It changes lives. Yeah. And, and just in this last week, I had conversations with three different individuals who have hit a low point in their life and they're just new to Northgate and and they came and they said, I feel like I'm still welcome here. There's still hope for me. See, we need to be a community of grace because nobody's perfect, which is actually the second point. The second core value is that we are all people in process. None of us has it all together. None of us has it all figured out. All, All of, we are all a work in progress. Uh, just like if a building project, okay? A building project can get really messy. If you were here three months ago, there was nothing but mud out front here, and it was just, and we thought we would never get this building finished. That's what it looks like when things are under construction. It gets messy. We're all a work in progress. We're all a construction zone, if you will. But God is doing his work, and his work is genuine and authentic. We're all at different stages in that journey, and none of our journeys look exactly the same. But we are all people in process. What matters, what matters is that we're making progress in that process. It says in Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those are activities and habits that will help you grow in your faith, but they are not the measurement of spiritual maturity. See, sometimes we get confused. We think that the measurement of my spiritual life is how much time I spend in prayer, how much time I spend reading my Bible, how many Bible studies I go to, all of those kinds of things. And those are all important things, but they are not the measurement. They're the means. They're the means by which we enter into the life that God has graciously given to us. And when you enter that life, transformation happens. There's an old saying that says, God loves you just the way you are and too much to let you stay that way. (laughs) And it's true. But as you enter into this life of grace and you begin to practice those habits that lead you into that life, transformation really does happen. Sometimes people don't experience that transformation right away. And so what we settle for is a pseudo-transformation. And that only leads to hypocrisy. What we say around here is just aim for authenticity. Be real who you are. It's okay. Let God do the work and let people see that work in progress because that will make a difference. You need to practice what I sometimes call Popeye theology. Paul Paul wrote about it actually to the Corinthian church. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) But he goes on, he says, and his grace to me was not without effect. Grace is powerful. Grace will change you. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to pretend you're better than you are. Let God do his work. Because we're all people in process, which actually leads to the third core value is people in process mean we practice a lifestyle of worship. Now, if you're new to Northgate, Um, This is probably a little bit different than you ever experienced in church. Um, You probably got the feeling we kind of take our worship around here pretty joyfully. And and if you've never been a part of a church like this, this might seem like really strange to you, like one mass karaoke, you know, meeting, something like everybody singing the words on the screen, you know. You might be the person in front of you raised their hand. You thought maybe they had a question, you know, what is this all about, okay? This guy in white shoes up here dancing and singing and strumming a guitar, you know. We take worship seriously, but we take it with a great joy. The idea is that you engage and you respond and you express what God's doing. And you don't just do it on Sunday mornings. It's not just for an hour a week. You look at the early church. It says every day, every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Worship happens when we come together Corporately, worship happens in our homes, in our community groups. Worship happens anytime you acknowledge the presence of God in your life. And you do whatever you do for his glory. See, that's really, Brother Andrew talked about this. It's just practicing the presence of God. To realize at any moment, God is with me. And he is empowering me and he is enabling me. And whatever it is that I'm doing, I do it for my best For his glory. It brings honor to him. That's worship. So if you are a stay-at-home mom, the time that you spend and invest in your children, that's worship. If you're a carpenter and you're building homes, then you use your craft and you do your best because you do it to the glory of God. That's worship. If you're a teacher, you teach your students as best you can because that's your act of worship. If you're a leader, you lead with diligence and, 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 and authenticity because that's your worship. 
If you're an employer, you treat your employees right because it's an act of worship. If you're an employee, you do your very best for your employer because that's an act of worship. See, Paul put it this way um, in the Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I, I love the message paraphrase. Puts it this way. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That's worship. To the Colossian church, he wrote these words. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's a lifestyle of worship. And a key ingredient to a lifestyle of worship is generosity. And so we believe that we are called to live generous lives. That's the fourth core value of our church. Because generosity is a key ingredient in this life of worship. It was one of the defining characteristics of the early church. Paul, Luke writes about it not just once, but twice. This, this idea of, of sharing and giving and generosity. It says that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. That's a powerful statement. Powerful statement. And what you need to understand is these were not wealthy people. A few of them were. But most of them were just trying to grind it out day by day. See, there's this misperception that I have to be wealthy to be able to be generous. And that just isn't the case. The way you become generous is you make the decision to be generous. And then you start giving. And when you do that, God does his work. Something we discovered as the church together about five years ago, almost five and a half years ago, um, that, that Pastor Larry came with this idea of the dollar club. That, that what if we just took a head count every weekend and we asked everybody to, above and beyond whatever their regular giving might be, to just put $1 on top of that for every person that's here with you. And, and, and then what, what we'll do is we'll take that money, whatever it is, and we will use that to help a family in need or a person in need. And, and when we made that decision to do that, you gotta understand, we were barely making budget. In fact, we were not making budget. We were making our, our mortgage payments a week, a week or two late. Um, we were barely making payroll. We had to cut back on all kinds of things. And the big fear was if we do that and people don't buy into it, we're committing ourselves to five, $600, whatever it might be, to somebody else that we can't afford to give away. But we made the call. And we made the decision. And I want to give you an update to this day. Five and a half years later, we have helped 259 families or individuals. Yeah. To the tune of over $175,000. Yeah. Now, I don't tell you that so it's a you know, pat yourself on the back kind of a thing. I tell that as a lesson learned, because what happened when we made that decision, our finances turned the corner. We decided as a church, we were going to model generosity and our finances turned the corner. It's been better than it's ever been. That's how God's economy works. When you choose to be a funnel that he can use, then he uses that. And he not only blesses people through you, he blesses you as well. And I'm not talking about some prosperity doctrine. I'm just telling you, this is how God's economy works. He's been generous to us. So we'd be generous to others. 
He's been gracious to us, so we extend grace to others. See, whatever he gives us, our job is to pass it on. And it's not just about money. It's about, we talk about around here, it's about your time, your talents, and your treasure. Be generous with all three of them. Learn what God does in his economy. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Paul wrote these words to a young pastor named Timothy. He says to your church, he said, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Every weekend in every one of our services, it takes somewhere in the neighborhood of 40 to 50 people, and it's growing, to, put, to, to, to cover all the things that need to happen. 40 to 50 volunteers, either on our children's ministry, our tech booth, our, you know, whatever it might be, all around, worship team, all that. It takes about 40 to 50 people every weekend per service. So that's like, you know, if there's turnover, that's like 150 people. And the, and the need keeps growing. So being generous is, is being generous in every aspect of my life. We have people, and it's not just what we do here as a church, it's what we do in our community. We have people that are part of our church family who serve, um, who on Thursday morning serve breakfast to Liberty High School students every Thursday morning. And for some of those kids, that's the first solid meal they've had all, all week. We have people who volunteer in the mentorship program. We have people who volunteer in, in um, the Sparrow Project, feeding the homeless over in Vallejo. We have so many people who give up their time. That's what it means to live a generous life. And it's what God has called us to do. And the last core value is this, that we are redemptive in our relationships. Because the message of God's grace is all about redemption. It is all about forgiveness and reconciliation and restoration. See, that's the message. It's not something that we have done. It's what God did for us. And here's the thing. If you're here today and you are a Christ follower, the reason that you are a Christ follower is because somebody told you. Somebody shared that message with you. That's the way the message has been shared for the last 2,000 years. One person to another, to another, to another, generation after generation after generation. That is the message. And not in an obnoxious way, not in an arm-twisting way, but by simply living your life in such a way that people can see it. See, that's the thing about the early church. It says they were enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And I think those two sentences go together. That, that, that enjoying the favor of all the people means that the people who are outside the church look at the people inside the church and says, I don't know if I believe what they believe. I'm not sure I understand all of it, but there is something there, something that I'm missing, something I need to get in on. And God used that to bring people to him. That's the way it has always, always been. Same thing that Peter wrote about. He said, let live such good lives that they will see the good things you do and give glory to God. One of the things I've said around here all along is I truly believe this, that God has placed you in your neighborhood, on your job, with your circle of friends, in your family for a purpose. And a big part of that purpose is sharing your story of God's grace because that's how the message is passed one person to another. Now, if you're here because somebody invited you and this is your first time at church, here's the thing you need to understand. 
The reason they invited you is because they love you. They care deeply about you. And they want you to discover what it is that they have discovered for themselves. That God has loved you from the very beginning. So much so that he gave his one and only son who gave his life on a cross so that you could be redeemed, reconciled, made right with God. And that's the church. See, that's what the church is. Grace-filled community where people are all people in process and we're learning and growing together in this idea of, of, of generous living and lifestyle worship and sharing that message with our friends and our family. That is the church. Do you bow your heads with me? Every service we close with just a kind of a moment of reflection. And we don't do this in a manipulative way. It's just a chance for you to just stop for a moment and let this sink in. Where is God speaking to you? What, what's he tugging on your heart about? It might be the way you do your job and just changing that and becoming more of an act of worship. It might mean stepping up in, in generosity. It might be stepping out and sharing your faith. It might be, it might be that in your walk with Christ that, that you've kind of become stagnant and you needed just a little nudge, a little kick to get you going again. And whatever it is, I want to invite you to just say yes to God. Say, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll do that. I'll take that next step. Whatever it is for you, just say, yes, Lord, I'll take that next step. Now, maybe you're here and you've never taken a first step of faith. You're here because somebody invited you and you thought, well, I want to check out the new building and yeah, she's dragging me along. So, But I really believe God has you here. And maybe for you, it's a first step of faith. And it's just simply acknowledging your need, your faults, your struggles, your weaknesses, your sin. And just like Dana said in her story, admitting it to God, receiving his forgiveness and putting your life in his hands moving forward. And if you've never done that, but today, today for you, it's a first step of faith. I'm going to ask you to do something. It's very simple. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or walk down the aisle, none of that kind of stuff. But I would like you to do this. I would like to pray with you and for you as we close. So I'm going to ask if, if, if that's where you're at and for you it's a first step of faith. If you just do something really simple, just raise your hand and as you do, look up and catch my eye because I want to let you know I see you and I'm praying with you and I'm praying for you. All right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. So if you raise your hand, I just want you to make this your prayer as we close. Lord, here I am. You know me better than I know myself. You know my struggles, my weaknesses. You know my faults and my failures. You know my sin. And I can't undo it, and I can't fix it on my own. What I need is your grace. So today, I'm asking, would you forgive me? Would you take what you did on that cross and apply it to my life? And and I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to learn to follow you. Would you put your presence, your spirit within me? Would you remind me that you are with me? And and I will follow you. Would you teach me and move me forward in this new walk? We pray this all in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Yeah.